Welcome back to A Better Brand of Happiness. This is session 31. And in this session, we continue to explore the paragraph that began in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 is the entirety of the paragraph. And I want to take a minute and walk you through uh, some of the steps of my Bible study method. Part of my teaching for this class and what I've been teaching you in this class is my Bible study method, and it has eight steps. The first of those steps is read the passage in three different translations. When I study the Bible, the first thing I do is try to get very familiar with the passage of Scripture that I'm studying. And so I read and reread it to get familiar with what it says. But part of knowing where to start and stop my reading and my study of the passage has to do with establishing the paragraph, which is the second uh, phase or second step in my Bible study method. These two really are interchangeable. It's hard to separate them because you need to know how far you're going to go so you can read that passage over and over again. But just to separate them out, I read the passage and then I try to decide where it begins and where it ends. That's what I mean by establishing the paragraph. My understanding of Philippians chapter 4 is that this paragraph begins in verse 4 and extends all the way through verse 9. And so my paragraph, as I've studied this, is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And I want to begin by reading that passage. So please follow along as I read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, where the scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now that we've read the passage of Scripture, that brings us to the third step in my Bible study method, which is state the big idea. State the big idea. And as I've discussed in several other sessions in this series, the big idea is a one-sentence summary of the entire paragraph. So once I've read the passage and gotten familiar with it, and I've isolated where I think the paragraph begins and ends, then I try to put into one sentence what I think the major theme of that paragraph is. I try to summarize in one sentence what I think that paragraph is saying. That's what's called the big idea. Now, back in session 30, we actually started this paragraph, and I went through the steps I used to find and state the big idea. So I won't do that again today. I won't go through those steps again today. I'll just tell you that the big idea I stated in session 30 continues for today's session. And that big idea is this. When you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you 
gentle, prayerful when anxious, intentional in your thinking, and obedient to God's word. When you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle, prayerful when anxious, intentional in your thinking, and obedient to God's word. And so that brings us then to step four in the Bible study method, which is to break down and label the parts. Once I have found the passage and summarized it in a big idea, then I want to break it apart and see how each of the pieces of that paragraph fit together to make that big idea. And that's what I want to do right now. I want to take some time and I want to show you overhead the uh, different pieces and different parts of this paragraph of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Now, verses 4 through 9 are grammatically structured around a series of commands. Verses 4 through 9 are grammatically structured around a series of commands. And these commands are what are called technically in grammar imperatives. Now, you remember, of course, from grammar school, I'm sure, that imperative verbs issue commands. And so let me show you from the passage the imperative verbs in this passage. There are six imperative verbs in this passage. Let me show them to you. The first comes in verse 4, and it's used twice. They are the words rejoice and rejoice. All right, so that's, it's obviously used twice, but that's the same command. It's just repeated again. That's the first imperative. The second imperative is, is translated in our translation, be evident. Be evident. That's the second imperative in this uh, paragraph of Scripture. The third imper imperative comes to us from the first part of verse 6, and that comes from the phrase that's translated in our translation, be anxious. All right, obviously it's negated, do not be anxious, but the imperative itself, the command itself, is just be anxious. But there's actually a second part to this imperative. It's a compound imperative. And so in the latter part of verse 6, the word present your requests to God is also a command. It's also an imperative. And that is number four in our list of imperatives in this paragraph. Finally, down in verse 8, we come to the fifth imperative in our passage, and that is way at the end of verse 8 where it says, think about such things. That is the fifth command, the fifth imperative in this paragraph. And the sixth imperative, the sixth command, comes to us in verse 9, and it's translated in our passage, put it into practice. And so practice or put into practice is really the imperative itself. That is the sixth imperative in this paragraph. Now, back in verse 6, in verse 6, I told you there were two imperatives, and they are different words, obviously, in the, both in the original language and in our translation. But these two go together, and so if you take them together, they're sort of a compound imperative. The command in verse 6 is not to be anxious, but rather, instead of being anxious, to present your requests to God, obviously, in prayer. And so if we take verse 6 and these two imperatives as one command, a compound command, a compound imperative, we have really six imperative verbs, but five commands in the passage. 
The five commands in the passage are rejoice, be evident, actually let your gentleness be evident, obviously. Then the compound, the third one, be an- do not be anxious, but rather present your request to God. The fourth one is think about such things. And the fifth one is put it into practice. These are the five commands that this passage of Scripture spells out for us. But even though these are all commands, and therefore, grammatically speaking, they are all parallel to each other, I think there is a little bit of hierarchy in the passage. And that is, I think that the word rejoice, the first command that's stated twice in this passage, I think this command actually governs all the others. I would call this the um, controlling imperative in this passage. And what I mean is the overarching command in this passage is to rejoice. The other commands then, I would say, let your gentleness be evident, do not be anxious, but rather present your requests to God, think about such things, and put into practice These all spell out the meaning of rejoice in the Lord. They spell out the application. So because this command, rejoice, is used twice, it's repeated. And because, as we've seen in previous sessions, the command to rejoice recurs again and again throughout the uh, book of Philippians, I take this command, rejoice in the Lord, to be sort of the head command, to be sort of the controlling idea in this paragraph And the rest of these commands then give us specific ways, specific applications of what Paul means to rejoice in the Lord. Now, today we're going to focus on this second verse here, verse 5. And we're going to talk about each section of this verse. And so that's really the focus that we're going to look at in this session. We're not going to study the entire paragraph, we're just going to focus on this one part of it, verse 5. So that's the breakdown of the passage. There are a number of commands in this passage, and we'll take time in in different sessions to walk through each and consider each one of them in the next several sessions. Now, I said already that I believe there's a key command in this passage. It's the command to rejoice in the Lord stated in verse 4. And this key command to rejoice in the Lord is the first and the controlling command. The key command, the first and controlling one, is to rejoice in the Lord, as we saw in verse 4. And again, this command to rejoice in the Lord has been a repeated theme throughout the book of Philippians, as I showed you in the previous session. And so you can go back to session 30 for a thorough presentation of the meeting of Philippians 4.4. I took plenty of time in session 30 to talk about that command, rejoice in the Lord and what it means and the various ways it recurs in the book of Philippians. And so I'll refer you back to that session, uh, session 30, for uh, more information about that verse. But this is an important phrase, rejoice in the Lord. And so my interpretation of the phrase rejoice in the Lord, I'll just remind you of it, it means to find your joy, your confidence, your meaning in life from your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's theologically called your union with Christ instead of anything else. When Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord, or when he talks about his own rejoicing in the Lord in the book of Philippians, I interpret that to mean we are being told as Christians to find our meaning in life, to find our significance 
in our relationship with Jesus Christ, in all that Christ has done for us. And so my big idea for this paragraph sees everything from verses 5 through 9 as an application of the idea of rejoicing in the Lord. In other words, verses 5 through 9 describe in concrete detail what your life will look like when you rejoice in the Lord. Now, in today's session, session 31, we're going to take a detailed look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. This is the second command grammatically, but it's the first application command, as I understand it, of the phrase to rejoice in the Lord. The second command in this passage is to let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. That's verse 5. Or as I put it in my big idea, when you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle. Back when I showed you my big idea for this paragraph, that was the first idea. When you rejoice in the Lord, the result will be that it will make you into a gentle person, or you will choose to become a gentle person. Gentleness is the first way you can show that you are rejoicing in the Lord, that the Lord is the source of your significance and meaning in life. Gentleness is the first way that Paul applies the command to rejoice in the Lord in verse 4. When you rejoice in the Lord, you will choose to be a gentle person. Because all commands involve a choice. And so let's take a look at this verse in more detail and break it down one concept at a time. And first, let's look at the word gentleness. The word gentleness. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The word itself, the word gentleness itself means not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. And so if you compare different translations of Scripture, I think you'll see some different words, some of those different nuances used. It refers to, the word gentleness refers to the kind of person who doesn't uh, lose their cool all the time, the kind of person who doesn't get too upset or too hung up about the problems or issues of life. It's not a person who insists on always getting their way or always getting their rights. It's a person who knows how to yield to others or a person who, if they're debating with others, can be gentle, they can be kind, they can be courteous, they can be tolerant of other people. Now that definition that I read to you and that's on the screen, not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, and tolerant, that comes from a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature edited by William Arndt and several others. And so that's the source for that, uh, that definition of the word gentleness. Now, in addition to the word gentleness and the way it is used here in this passage of Scripture, in Philippians 4, 5, it is used four other times in the New Testament. This word gentleness occurs five times in the New Testament here and four other times. And I want to walk you through those other passages because I think they shed some light on what Paul means here. And so in addition to its use here in Philippians 4, 5, Paul uses this word, or the word, I should say, is used four other times in the New Testament, not just by Paul. The first comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Peter 2, 18, 
uses this word in a slave-master relationship, and it describes the kind of master that every slave, if you had to be a slave, would want to have, the kind of master who is gentle, the one who is reasonable, one who is easy to work for. And the passage says, as you see on the screen, 1 Peter 2.18, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, there's our word that's translated gentleness here in Philippians 4, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. The word considerate in this verse is the same word that's translated gentle here in Philippians 4, 5. Now, since it's describing, and it's not a command to the slaves, it's describing a certain type of master that a slave might have, it doesn't really help us that much. But the other uses of this word in the New Testament do help us. And so let's go to the second one, which is in 1 Timothy 3, 3. 1 Timothy 3, 3 uses this word to describe one of the qualities that an elder, that a, the leader of a church, a pastor, a bishop must have. And the verse says that this type of person who's in church leadership must not be given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. There's our word. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And so this verse, 1 Timothy 3.3, tells us that if you're going to become an elder in your church, you need to be the kind of person who has a gentle spirit, someone who doesn't always insist on his rights, someone who can be reasoned with, someone who is reasonable. That's one of the qualities of an elder that's required by God. And it uses the same word that Paul uses as a command here in Philippians chapter 4. The next passage is in Titus chapter 3, verse 2. And this verse says that all Christians should show this quality, this quality of gentleness in our relationships with government officials. That's the context in which this word gentleness is used in Titus 3, 2. Titus 3, 2 says, remind the people, that's God's people, the people who were in the church in Crete where Titus was, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. There's our word that's translated gentleness here in Philippians. It's translated considerate in Titus 3.2. And the passage goes on and says, always to be gentle toward everyone. And so you see, Paul says, really in all of our relationships, but in particular, he, he specifies government officials that our attitude should be one of reasonableness, one of gentleness toward them. The next one is in James chapter 3, verse 17, and that verse says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, and that's our word that's translated gentleness here in Philippians chapter 4. It's translated considerate in James 3.17. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The word translated considerate, again, is the same word that's translated gentleness here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. And so as we survey these other places where the New Testament uses the word that's translated gentleness here, we see that it has different translations, but that they all describe the same kind of a reasonable person, the same kind of a person who is not ready to fight always, but someone who can be reasoned with, someone who is gentle, someone who is easy to talk to and easy to work with. 
It describes a person who is easy to get along with. And remember, this was a problem in the church at Philippi. One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was because there were contentions within the believers at Philippi. The people in Philippi, Philippi was a great church in many ways. They were great people who served the Lord sacrificially and wholeheartedly, even though they were under persecution. But they always didn't get along with one another. And we actually saw this uh, problem alluded to just a few verses before in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, we read, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. That verse suggests that there was a rift between these two women, these two believers in Christ. We don't know what that rift was or what caused it, but it was serious enough that God moved Paul to put their names in the inspired words of Holy Scripture. And so there was a serious conflict between these two people. And whatever the issue was specifically between them, one or probably both of them were not as gentle, not as yielding, not as considerate, not as reasonable as they should be. And so this problem of lacking gentleness was a problem that many, apparently, believers in Philippi needed to work on. They needed to find their joy in the Lord, and as they were rejoicing in Him, then they needed to let that show itself in their life in a kind of gentle consideration for one another that Christ Himself had when He gave Himself for us, and that we ought to have for one another. And so when the passage tells us to be gentle, let our gentleness be evident to all, it's telling us to have this kind of a reasonableness about us. The command itself is translated, be evident, in the NIV translation. And it's also translated to be known in the ESV. And so the phrase to be evident, that's the, that's the word that's actually the imperative. That's the command. Be evident. And that word is translated, uh, again, be evident in the NIV or to be known in the ESV. And this word that's translated to be evident is a very common word in the New Testament. It's a word that means to know something or to make something known. Here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, that word is used in the passive voice. And I did a whole session, I don't remember which number it is, but I did a whole session in this uh, series about the passive voice and the various uses of it. And so I won't go into that here, but I just want to note that um, Paul's command here to let our gentleness be evident is in the passive voice here. Paul uses the passive form of this command, and that's why it's translated, let it be evident rather than make it known. Now, Paul used the passive form of this command for a particular purpose, because if Paul had used this uh, command in the active voice, the command itself would be, make your gentleness known to everyone. But some people might conclude that making your gentleness known means go around telling everyone how gentle you are, and that's not what Paul meant at all. The passive command is more subtle. Paul isn't saying go around and insist that everyone knows how gentle you are and how reasonable you are as a person. No, the passive voice indicates that you live your life this way and let others draw their own conclusions. That's how you let it be known. Other people, when they interact with you, they will see how well you listen. 
They will see how courteous and how kind you are, even with people who disagree with you, even with people who are angry or disagreeable themselves. Then they can conclude on their own that you are a gentle person. That's what Paul is suggesting, I think, here by using the passive voice when he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. You let them know that you were gentle, that you are a gentle person, by the way you treated them, not by insisting how reasonable you are. And again, all of this connects to and flows from the command in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord. When a person who has joy in this life interacts with other people, even people who are difficult, that person who has joy in this life, joy in Jesus Christ, can relax and be at ease in a tense situation because they're connected to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is with them in every way. And we have the promises of God and the power of God working in us because of our connection with Jesus Christ. And so when you're connected to Jesus Christ, you can rejoice in that, and it lets you be at ease in some of the other problems and relationships that you encounter in your own life. A person who has joy can be more relaxed and at ease in tense situations, and that's because Jesus Christ is Lord over all the circumstances of life. No one can overrule or thwart his will. And so if you encounter a problem in your life, even if you encounter persecution like Paul himself had, you can rejoice in the Lord and you can be reasonable because you know the Lord allowed this into your life. It's part of his sovereign plan for you. And because it's part of his sovereign plan for you, you can trust him to see you through this and have his will accomplished in your life. Do you see how that should make you a more gentle person. It should relieve you of the stress and striving and anger that come to us so easily when we're not rejoicing in the Lord, but rather when we're insisting on our own rights or when we're fearful of not getting what we think belongs to us or what we deserve. And so the command is to be evident, to let our gentleness be evident to all. Now, what's the object of this command? The object comes to us in that little phrase, to all. We are to let our gentleness be evident to all. And that phrase, to all, uh, includes other Christians, other people in our church, and other Christians generally should know that you are a gentle and reasonable person. But of course, the phrase, to all, doesn't just mean other Christians, it means to all, which means non-Christians as well. And in these two categories, Christians and non-Christians, we take in every type of human being there is. If you have non-Christian friends, non-Christian neighbors, non-Christian co-workers, or non-Christian family members, the fact that you are rejoicing in the Lord, your faith in Christ, should be obvious to the non-believers around you because of how gentle, how kind, how reasonable and how loving you are toward everybody, even if you have a difficult coworker, that everyone in the office or everyone in the plant avoids because they're such a difficult person. If you're rejoicing in the Lord, you should have an ease about you, a gentleness toward that person that no one else in the plant might have because they're not, uh, they don't know Jesus Christ. They're not rejoicing in Him. But as you as a Christian are, it should give you 
the ability to have a better relationship with that person because of how it transforms your life. And so Paul's command here, his his, uh, expression of how we show our rejoicing in the Lord by being evident should happen in all of our relationships. It should happen here in our church with one another, and it should happen out there in the world with everyone we encounter in this life. Now, when Paul talks about the reason for our gentleness, he does so at the end of the verse. The end of the verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, says, Let your gentleness be evident to all, and then it has this very short sentence, The Lord is near. This gives us the reason for our gentleness. The reason for our gentleness is that the Lord is near. And there's been some debate about what exactly Paul is saying when he says the Lord is near. The Lord in Philippians, of course, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, when Paul says the Lord is near, and that's the reason why we should be gentle, is he saying the Lord is with us everywhere we go in this life? His presence accompanies us, which, of course, is true. But is that what Paul means here? Or does Paul mean the Lord is near in the sense that he is returning soon? I think it's the latter reference. This is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there are um, cross-references that would suggest the same type of thing that I won't get into here, but that's my reason for interpreting it this way. What Paul is saying here is one reason why you can be gentle toward others, one reason why you can be reasonable with other people around you is because you're waiting for the return of Christ, and His return is coming near. Now, the New Testament teaches what is called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The word imminent means it could happen at any moment. The New Testament teaches again and again that this is what we're waiting for as Christians. We're waiting for the return of Christ, and it could happen at any time. And when Jesus returns, the Bible says, He will, among other things, judge everyone on earth. He will judge everyone on earth. He will raise the dead. And both the living and dead will be judged by Christ himself, the Lord. Those of us who know him, who know Jesus Christ by faith, will be rewarded with eternal life in his kingdom. Those who don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will be punished for their sin, for their rebellion against God, and for their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be excluded from God's kingdom and God's kingdom rule under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so all of this connects to the command to be reasonable in this way. There are problems that you and I will encounter in this world that that we cannot solve. And those problems and conflicts can often happen from abuses from other people, from people who are not gentle, from people who are unreasonable. For people who are afraid of not getting what they want or what they need in life or afraid of the consequences of the things that they do. And so they lash out in fear. They lash out in anger. And no matter how gentle and reasonable we might be with them, we just can't resolve the problem. And in some ways, we may lose the argument. We may have to accept being wronged as Christians in this world because There are people who are not reasonable. But if we are waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and at His return we know that He will judge everyone, both believer and unbeliever alike, then we know that Christ, being a just judge, is going to set everything right. He is going to punish those 
who have not been reasonable, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have lived with that kind of tension and that kind of unreasonable spirit, and He will reward those of us who, when we can't resolve problems in this life, commit it to Him. And so because the coming of Christ is near, we can be sure that if we are mistreated or slandered in this life, if we are persecuted for our faith in Christ, and if our rights or even our property is unjustly taken from us, we can be sure that when Christ comes, His judgment will vindicate us and punish our oppressors. And after that, we'll be with Christ forever in His kingdom. So all the things that seem to matter now, the things that we can get unreasonable about, the things that make us angry and frustrated and cause us to be unreasonable with other people, all those things will not matter in eternity when we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. The problems and stresses of life in this world that seems so great to us now will seem so petty and so small when we are under the rule of Jesus Christ in His kingdom. And so that's why Paul says the reason why we can let our gentleness be evident to all is because the Lord is near. When He comes, all of the problems and frustrations of this life will be settled justly, and then we will be with Christ for eternity. That's something to rejoice in. That's something to look forward to. That's something that can help you become a more gentle and reasonable person in this life. And this command applies to every one of us. It is for everyone, the Bible says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. But even though it's a command to the Philippians, it of course applies to all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't just for the Philippians to learn to be gentle with one another and with the people around them. It's a command for all of us who know Jesus Christ. This command applies to every one of us who is a believer in Jesus Christ. And so when we think about what it means to have a better brand of happiness, when we think about what it means to find our joy and satisfaction, not in the things that this world tries to sell us, but in our permanent relationship with Jesus Christ by grace, this passage adds to our understanding of what a better brand of happiness is by telling us that a better brand of happiness calls us to rejoice in the Lord and show it by our gentleness toward others. A better brand of happiness calls us to rejoice in the Lord and then show our rejoicing in the Lord by how gentle we are with others around us. Now, because we, re- we choose to rejoice in the Lord. And remember, these commands all mean it's a choice. It's a choice, a decision of the will that we make to find our joy in Jesus Christ and then let that translate into gentleness in our life. Because we choose to rejoice in the Lord, we don't have to let our ego draw us into arguments and disputes with other people. We find our satisfaction in Christ, not in our superb intellect, that allows us to argue other people under the table who disagree with us. We find our satisfaction in knowing Jesus Christ, not in our relentless need to win in every situation. 
And even in this life, when we must fight, when we must go into a confrontation with other people, whether believer or unbeliever, the gentleness that Paul commands us to have here in Philippians 4, 5 should cause us to fight in a reasonable way, to argue in a reasonable way. Matthew 18, verse 15 talks about the kind of confrontation that we need to have with believers sometimes who have sinned against us. But it should be a reasonable type of confrontation. And Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, you do it to win your brother, not to win the argument, not to insist on your rights, but because you love your brother and want to see him restored to you and to fellowship with Jesus Christ. Also, we should fight in a reasonable way when truth is at stake. When people are attacking the validity of Scripture or are teaching false doctrines that don't conform to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible calls us to enter into those kinds of conflicts, yes, but to do it in a way that is gentle and kind, as we saw previously when the Bible talks about the role of elders and how elders should be. The Bible says this is one of the qualities that elders must have, and yet later on it says that elders are to contend for the truth. And so even as we contend for the truth of God's Word, we should do it in a way that is reasonable. This is how we show that we are rejoicing in the Lord. We show it by being gentle toward everyone in every situation. Because the Lord is near. Now, as I close this session, I want to take a minute to encourage you to think about how this command works out in your life. I want to encourage you to think about how this command, to let your gentleness be evident to all, could make a difference in your daily life today. And let me give you kind of a specific way to think about this. As I record this session, We are living under orders to stay at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it has been around two months since life as we know it was disrupted. And the world as we know it changed. Many people in our country, maybe you, have lost their jobs or had a reduction in pay. Others have had to work from home in less than ideal conditions and they may have lost some of the salary or benefits that they were paid because their company is struggling. All of us long for the freedom, don't we, to go about our lives again without restrictions. We want to go shopping again or to go and just sit in a restaurant and eat food for a change or to be able to go to work instead of having to work from a closet at home or to be able to go to a park or to a sporting event, or do any number of the things that we used to enjoy and not think twice about. And so it's very frustrating to live like this. It's frustrating, I know for you, I've heard from many of you, that we can't get together and sing together and worship the Lord together and fellowship with one another. And it's frustrating for me to have to give this to a camera instead of to our congregation. It's frustrating for all of us to live like this. And I've seen that frustration boil over in anger online in the lives of other people. There are lots of posts on Facebook and other social media platforms that assign blame for this situation that we're in, that call people names, 
that accuse people in the government or in non-governmental entities of having nasty motives for uh, the kinds of things that they have uh, either, either uh, imposed on us or called us to do, the kind of restrictions that we're all subject to. Now, I'm not saying that we should never petition the government or that everyone in the government has always in every way acted appropriately. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that some of the things that I've read and seen online, some of the things I've heard, do not meet the standard of this verse that we've been looking at in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. They don't conform to what Paul commands us, to let our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. The name-calling, the questioning of motives, the conspiracy theories, and the anger are really not appropriate for the people of God according to this verse that we've been studying together today. I showed you one of these verses earlier that has this same word in it that's translated, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I want to revisit it as an application verse for this morning's message. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, gives us as believers commands in the way that we deal with the government. And it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. There's our word gentleness. And always be gentle toward everyone. This command fleshes out the same command that Paul gives us here in Philippians chapter 4. It tells us that the way we deal with the government ought to show this kind of gentleness. Now, as Americans, we have rights. And there are appropriate ways to address our grievances. I'm not telling you to be passive and just take whatever is dished out to you. What I am saying instead is to rejoice in the Lord. When He is the source of your joy and your satisfaction, you should be gentle about the ways that you speak about everyone, even people that you disagree with who may have power in the government, even people who have different opinions, even strident opinions that are different than yours. You and I should be kind and considerate and respectful and reasonable because we're rejoicing in the Lord. We may debate with others who have different opinions than we do, But when the debate is over, they and everyone who watched us debate should come to the conclusion that person was very kind. That person was considerate. They listened. And they tried to understand. They didn't just jump to their next argument. They didn't call names. They didn't ascribe bad motives to people they disagreed with. This is how people ought to think of us when we have disagreements about even the response to the global pandemic that we're living under right now. And why should we live this way? The answer is very simple. Because a better brand of happiness calls us to rejoice in the Lord and show it by our gentleness to others. This is a better brand of happiness.